but I don't like the phrase buy-in because if you can buy into something, you can sell out of something. Welcome to Hoop Nerds with Billy Kegler, presented by the Wisconsin Basketball Coaches Association. We talk to coaches, athletes, and more to learn from their stories and apply learning lessons to improve each individual and stimulate growth for your program, team, staff, and self. Follow along as we explore success and failure en route to improving the game of basketball. Coach Sundance, welcome to the Hoop Nerds. Oh, Billy, man, there's one thing I love in life, it's nerds. All right, so let's let's get dirty, man. I'm about all this. <laughs> well, we're going to get our hands dirty with it. But before we go there, let's hit the rewind button. Tell me about the first time you coached something, anything, and a memory that sticks with you from that experience. Gosh, the first time. Um, you know, when I would actually consider myself a coach for the first time, right, I was the GA with Coach Meyer uh, at Northern State. And Jerry Krause, who I call the White Wizard, who's like the Gandalf of basketball, right? Like Jerry Krause up at Gonzaga, he's, he's guardian of the game. He's published more manuscripts on the game of basketball than anyone else in the history. I mean, he's, he's a legend. He's an NABC legend, right, Jerry Krause. Uh, and he wanted to do this series on, on building and teaching youth basketball. And he, he goes, all right, Coach Meyer. Let's let's bring Sundance in here. Sundance will be my kind of my right hand man. He knows all the drills. He can still demonstrate. He just got done playing. Uh, let's let's bring him in with these you know second through fifth graders, sixth graders type kids, uh, and let's let's have him let's have him teach. Let's really have him teach the process of start, stops, and turns. How to break down starting. Uh, how to how to make sure they can stop on balance, uh, and how they can turn effectively and efficiently. You know, a front pivot or a rear pivot. And I'm thinking to myself, this is easy. I mean, I've been doing this for five years, four years with Coach Meyer. It's just like clockwork every day we warm up it's what phil beckner would call a hall of fame footwork nowadays uh for be better be different and so what we would do is just call it start stops and turns ssts and so i get out there and it's we're, we're recording right for championship production i'm championship production we're recording though but uh for alan lambert and i'll never forget this the camera's on like if we screw up we can cut it and restart it just like the movies you know you can screw up cut it you know whatever we get out there and we start talking with these kids and I'll never forget it. I mean, there's just little, there's cameras are on the bright eye, they're bushy tail. They're just kind of like just locked in. And I'm trying to say, all right, we'll start a triple threat. All right, on the whistle, we're going to start triple threat. And then we're going to make a small circle right here. And we're going to direct drive. And we're going to punch that ball out, dribble it, two dribbles, and pick it up, jump stop. We're going to yell, jump stop. And then we're going to front turn. We're going to throw the punch and we're going to front turn. And so everyone's like, they go, got it. There was, got it, got it, coach. All right, on the whistle, triple threat. Ready? Blow the whistle. Everyone just kind of stares at me. <laughs> and I, I mean, kids like, they're shell shock right now. I'm like, all right, we're going to try this again. Ready? Uh, cut, oh, cut, 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 cut the camera. Cut. All right, let's start this again. All right, we're going to blow the whistle and ready? On the whistle, triple threat. First whistle, triple threat. They go, oh, triple threat. Fuck y'all, we're rolling now. All right, second whistle, we're going to do direct drive. Ready? Second whistle. Frozen. Again, uh, cut, cut, cut the camera, cut the camera. All right, all right, we're gonna, we're gonna get this going here, and that's when I realized that it it's like what Coach Meyer always said: it's not how much you know, it's how much you can teach, and it's not how much you can teach, it's how much can they learn. And in that short amount of time, you're realizing that second through fifth graders, sixth graders, you may be able to know a whole lot about the game of basketball. You may be able to teach a whole lot about the game of basketball. But it is all relative to your crowd, to your players. Because if they can't learn a whole lot about the game of basketball, it doesn't matter what you know and what you can teach. 
And, and that was a that was a brutal reminder. Jerry Krause was sitting over there just laughing because he knows, like, he's seen this probably stuff before. He's just laughing at these kids just freezing up, uh, kind of being shell-shocked. The cameras are on, the lights are on, big stage type stuff. And uh, I said, we're going to have to dumb this down to the lowest common denominator. And that's when you realize that it's it, it, keeping the game of basketball, it, it, teaching the game of basketball is really about keeping it simple, uh, as simple as you possibly can. And I think we can overcomplicate some of the simple things, and that's cool. Um, but why why complicate the simple things? Why do we have to do that? I mean, it just makes us seem smarter than we actually are. Right. All right. So since we hit the rewind button and you're talking about your early coaching days, I want to know about an idea or a theory you had as a young coach that now with experience in your coaching career and you were presenting new information you've changed on as time has gone by. Oh, this is good because I, I think about this a lot, actually. Um you when you're a young coach what do you know you know what you've experienced so as a guy as a, as a guy who played for coach Meyer um I played for Mike Curry who was the all-time winningest coach in Wyoming high school basketball history I played for some great coaches uh, early in my career both happened to be all-time winningest coaches in their respective professions at the time like Co- coach Curry in Wyoming and then coach Meyer obviously in college uh, at the time you you just know what you know based on what you've done we were allowed to shoot two types of layups playing for Coach Meyer. All right. We were allowed to shoot left hand and right hand layups, like you know, the old elbow and knee on a string. Like you're teaching camp to second graders. All right, let's go up, eyes on the target, elbow and knee on a string, knee and elbow go up together, and we go finish with your eyes on a square, right? And the second type of layup that we could shoot or, or a shot we could make uh, around the basket was a two foot power shot. And so he would say, You're going to go into the paint, you're going to land on two feet. You're going to go up with two feet. It's going to be a two foot power shot. I mean, I am not an explosive athlete by any means. All right. I'm an average white guy right here. Uh, God, give me with a little bit of a, uh, you know, above average athleticism. But when you sprain two ankles, have two reconstructive ankle surgeries, you get grounded real fast. All right. There's, there's no fly zone anymore. And so going in off those two feet, when you had to land, you just, all your energy went into the ground. And so, so as you're trying to pop back up, you're, you're half of what you used to be. And so you go up and you get those things beat against the backboard. Uh, and I, I always like question myself, like, there's got to be better ways to finish. I mean, I'm just not a good two-foot power guy. Uh, I could jump great off one foot, right or left foot. But the two-foot power was just brutal for me. Uh, and that's how we went through our, our career was you get one foot or two-foot shots. Uh, you get right hand, left hand, or two-foot power. And so to me, what I've loved about being in the Linder program here in Wyoming and, and just kind of, you know, broadening your horizons a little bit is we work on so many different ways to finish. So it's, it's the art of finishing, right? It's, it, there's no longer one foot or two foot. We have inside hand reach. We have above the square. We have outside foot, outside hand, uh, stride, stop, playoff two, invert stride, stop, playoff two, lift, fake, step through, step down, step around, right? All, all these different types of finishes, you know, got two foot floater, one foot floater, uh, awkward hand off balance floaters. You just, just all these different finishes that you have with combinations of footwork where you could just take that, what we were talking about in 1999 to 2004, where you got one foot right or left. So that's basically two different finishes and then a two foot power. All right. So that's three finishes. And we're talking about what we've just, we could take that idea, transition it 20 years later. And now, now here we are talking about. 50 different ways to finish based on various footwork combinations, hand combinations, um, pivoting combinations, easily 
50 different ways to finish. Uh, and so to me, like that's a concept that has evolved. And even when you watch guys like Kyrie Irving, just talking about, you're not even talking about angles or English or different types of finishes around the basket with where you're placing the ball, uh, the placement levels. That is, um, that is a concept that I, if I go back 20 years, <laughs> I mean, I, I was nowhere near as, as well versed as I needed to be in finishing. So with the multitude of finishes that we have now, and actually we're decreasing practice time because we're taking strain off a player's body. How do you ensure that you're getting your players the reps they need to be able to cover that wide span of finishes that you're giving to them? Well, and I think this is, this is what Coach Meyer used to always talk about when it came to clinics. Is you went, why did you go to basketball clinics? You went to basketball clinics to get all the ideas, right? And so he'd go, you go there, get all the ideas, understanding very, know, knowing very well that you can't use all the good ideas. So you're going to get as many ideas as you possibly can, but you can't use them all. It's the same thing with player development, skill development. Uh, you're going to have players where you just know right off the jump, certain guys are, are way more equipped to have a, a bag full of finishes than other guys. Some guys can only handle one, two, like me, like I probably could only handle one, two, three different types of finishes. Uh, for me to actually be effective and, and successful. There's players today where they might be better doing a multitude of finishes based on their body type, based on being a, a smaller guy getting into the paint in the crowd or a slithery guy or a more physical guy. Um, and so I think, I think you have to try to make sure that you don't give them everything, but you give them the main ones, right? I think the main ones that we work on right here at Wyoming is we're going to work on the extension called the little Nash extension where it's out in front of your body. And I don't care if it's off one foot or two foot, but that, that elbow is out in front of your body and the ball's extended into a different area code. So you're trying to trying to disrupt the shot blocker's timing. Uh, then we're going to do inside hand reach, where if I'm driving to the outside, like say I'm on the right wing and I'm driving to the outside, beating from the baseline, and I go up with my left hand uh, versus trying to square my body and finish with the right. So I'm going to go with the inside hand reach. Uh, then we're going to do... And outside foot, outside hand, which is now, it's really common now where you go outside foot, outside hand, and you really use that shoulder to go into the chest and kind of veer them a little bit so you can get more space. Um, and then the last one is above the square, which I, I really like. It's just a different way of putting that ball in a different area code, um, you know, so zip, different zip code, where if, if you're usually just at the rim finishing at the square, now you're taking that ball and you're putting it above the square, you're putting it above the shot blocker's hands. I think those are four of the, of the most common finishes just off of one foot, so to speak, that you can work on now that can be really applicable to any player. Um, and then the, the other two that I would add is I would just add a stride stop playoff too, which Villanova teaches, a lot of great coaches teach, and an inverted stride stop where you can provide the lift fake and then step back across. I think those are necessities nowadays for players. I think if you have that that range of six right there, there's a there's a variety of different combinations you can play, but those are more conceptual. And so you can get more precise after you get the concept down. All right. You're really ready to nerd out and get into the weeds on this? Yeah, so let's keep nerding. People won't be able to see this, but as you were explaining this, you were using your hands and showing different motions and angles and movements. So you said different area codes. So when you're talking about players and their finishes and the ball placement or arm placement, is there specific language you're using with them um, in order to get them to extend in a certain direction, either forward or maybe 45 degrees out? Or if we were talking the same foot, same hand is the language I use, right? Then you're protecting with your shoulder. You're more like a three o'clock. 
Is there specific language you use with them as far as ball placement? Yeah, no, for me, that's more, that's, I would love to be able to dumb it down to the lowest you know, nerd denominator right there of saying like, here, if you say this word, this tells them what to do. I think it's like I said, conceptually, you teach it because instinctually you have to feel it based on where the defender's at. Um, that's a lot of, you know, if you're going to do a Nash extension, right? If you're going to come down and you're going to extend your arm out in front of your body and the defender's on your back hip, you know, you're going to put that a little bit further. Now, if your defender's on the side, more shoulder area, right? You may extend that a little bit further out, like you said, at a more 45 versus a straight 90 or in right in front of your body. Um, and so that's where the concept is important, but the precision is based on the instincts and the feel and the repetition of, of understanding that skill and how I can, that's why I think you have to do live reps with finishing. You have to have finishing drills um, where you can have your players learn to see like, oh man, I, it's what happens when you get into skill workouts, brother. Like you get into skill workouts, you got a bunch of cones and maybe you got some air dummies or some pads or someone out there with a broomstick, you know, trying to play uh, defense on you. And next thing you know, you get, you get a real live body on you. And that's, that's live action, man. That's where you learn how to play. And that's what we, we got to continue to get back to is, developing those one-on-one skill sets. Cause that's where I think finishing and just making creative moves, having instinctual plays is a lot of still playing one-on-one and feeling that great yeah, question. You know, I thought you trapped me on that one. You almost trapped me on that one. You don't want orange cone, all Americans. <laughs> what it boils down to. Orange cone, all Americans. That's pretty good, man. That's pretty good. You don't uh, want that. As many listeners know, I spent over six years as a general manager at just the game field house in Wisconsin Dells. I was able to spend time talking hoops with coaches like Tom Izzo, along with high school and youth coaches, in addition to meeting some basketball legends, including my childhood favorite, Sam Elke, who is in the WBCA Hall of Fame and High School Basketball Museum, located at Just the Game Fieldhouse, which is a must-visit for any true hoop nerd. They also play host to the WBCA All-Star Games and Coaches Clinic every year. Just the Game hosts over 70 basketball and volleyball tournaments annually and is a great place to play for teams of all ages and ability levels. You can't beat all Wisconsin Dells has to offer in your free time. The Fieldhouse also has two sister companies in Just the Game Impressions and Just the Game Live. Just the Game Impressions specializes in customized screen printing and embroidery and promotional products. They serve businesses, schools, sports teams, and more. Just the Game Live takes pride in providing affordable and simple live streaming solutions for venues or programs of all kinds. Inquire today for more information. For more info on everything Just the Game has to offer, check them out at justthegamefieldhouse.com. All right, so going back to this idea of, of progression. So now you, having some season under your belt, talking to a young coach, maybe it's a high school coach, maybe it's a, a young college coach at any level, what would you do to give them advice as far as building a program and what is the most important part to build a foundation for them? That's, geez, that's a rabbit hole. Um, especially for like a young, like a young guy. If I, if I was thinking about me at a young age, uh, the best advice I could ever give anybody, which is still the advice I still, is, is the advice I still get today from all of my coaching mentors is be yourself, right? And Coach Meyer used to talk about it all the time, you know, as, as he was a great at, at building coaches. I mean, even the coaches that came to his coaching academies and clinics, they became disciples of Don Meyer. And I think a lot of times, you if you're around a guy a lot, you you take on some of their personality traits, which is natural. I mean, there's there's a part of every coach I've ever had that's inside of me. You can't get rid of that. Um, it's just part of your DNA and your makeup. And so he'd always say, "Be yourself," and he'd always talk about the, you know, the quote on the bathroom stall in Lebanon, Tennessee that he that he found when he was sitting there. You know, he goes. 
I see this quote written on a bathroom stall in Lebanon, Tennessee, and it says, uh, be what you is, because if you is what you ain't, you ain't what you is. And, it, it, you know, he says a lot more prophetic than I said, but it's, I mean, it's a bathroom stall quote. I mean, let's be honest. And that's, to me, you got to be who you are. Uh, you got to coach to your strengths. Uh, you got to be highly self-aware, right? Uh, you got to know who you are, but most importantly, you got to know who you are not. And as much as I always reference Coach Meyer and I'll reference Coach Linder and I'll reference Coach Sather and I'll reference Coach Walter and I'll reference Coach Patton and I'll reference these coaches that I've, that, that I've coached with and been under, um, it's a part of me. It's not me. So they're pieces of you. And I think that's what's cool about coaching is because you can work for a lot of different people and you can be in a lot of different places and you can still steal those. But outside of that, right, if we just go brass tacks and we say outside of being you, what's important? And we're talking, we're, trying, we're, we're talking about trying to build, right? We're trying to, trying to build something here. We're trying to build a program. We're trying to build, create culture. Um, I think, I think you've got to be, number one, passionate. And to me, I think that's another right way of saying that is you got to have obsessive enthusiasm. Like you got to be obsessed about what you do and why you're doing it. You got to be super passionate about it. And that's the difference, in my opinion, between believe, believe in, and buy in. And see, when you believe in something, you're obsessed about it. You know, you, you believe at a high level, like it's not going to fail. You believe this to your core. I always say when people, I, I don't like the phrase, it's just a weird way of manipulating phrases here, but I don't like the phrase buy-in because if you can buy into something, you can sell out of something. If I buy into the stock market, I could sell that stock as well. If I don't like where it's going, I think I need to make a change on it. But if you believe in something, you're committed all the way through. Uh, and so many people can get you to buy into something. I can go sell you something and get you to buy into it for a little bit. And then two weeks later, you're going to wake up, Billy, and you're going to be like, I don't, I don't trust that guy and I don't trust what he's selling. I'm going to just sell out of this real quick. Uh, and so I think, I think real recognize real players can't be fooled anymore. They understand if you actually believe in what you're doing, if you're obsessed about in, at, at a high level, you're passionate and have obsessive enthusiasm about what you're trying to teach and what you're trying to build. I think it starts there because that's where people are going to judge you initially just off of, off of game. Like the first time they meet you, the first time they see you do something, they're going to judge you initially off of that. And if they don't feel that vibe, then it's going to be hard for you to do anything else after that. Um, and so uh, obsessive enthusiasm is, is, a, is a big pillar. I think uh, second coach used to talk about this all the time, too, is you got to sweat with the players. Right. So it's active ownership. It's active ownership. It's constantly being active, um, not passive ownership. Like I'm the coach now, so I sit back in my ivory tower and I sit back there and I wait for things to happen or people are going to come to me and they're, you know, it's, it's not what it is. Active ownership is, is sweat equity. You're putting sweat equity into the program. You're always, you're always acting. You're going to talk a lot. I mean, that's what coaches do. We're doing this right now, right? <laughs> I'm going to, I'm going to talk, I'm going to talk till your eardrums hurt. But to me, it's, it's your actions aren't the main thing. They're the only thing. They're the only thing that matters inside of your program. Uh, and so when you talk about active ownership, that's something where people on a daily basis see you reinvesting your time and energy into the program. That's the sweat equity that you're building up not only your, yourself, but with your players, with the community. Um, as much as you talk, you are acting it out on a much higher scale. And so that that creates, you know, a contagious environment, right? Like people want to be a part of that. They're like, oh, this guy, if he's getting after it. I'm going to get out. I love to work out with the guys and conditioning stuff every once in a while. Now, I may die of a heart attack way sooner than I need to. 
but throw me into one of those workouts every once in a while and, and just watch me just, I will hurt and I will suffer, but it will be amazing because guys are watching you go through it. And then if you happen to end up, you know, beating one of your players in a sprint, I mean, heaven forbid, man, they're never, you're never going to let them hear the end of that crap. Cause you're going to sit there and you're going to go like an old man. I'm 42 years old, bro. Just dusted you in a 22, man. Like that can't happen. And so to me, like that's a, that's a big part of that is the, is the active ownership side. Um, let's keep, let's keep diving down this rabbit hole. Cause I, I have a whole pillars on this the obsessive enthusiasm, the active ownership, uh, humility driven leadership. Okay. I think it's important leadership. There's leadership. There's aggressive leadership. You know, there's, there's passive leaders, humility driven leadership. Uh, it's what I learned from Paul Sather at Northern state. And even when he was assistant, it's the most humble head coach I've ever been around because he always is, is constantly seeking knowledge and he's constantly seeking, you know, advice. And he's asking, I mean, he'll call me and ask me questions. I'm like, coach, you've been doing this a lot longer than I have, man. You've got a way better knowledge base and frame of reference than I do, but he's just, he's so humble that he's not above being vulnerable and approachable. I think those are the two, two key phrases right there is, is humility driven leadership is, is vulnerable and approachable. Uh, it's vulnerable in the sense of like, okay, I don't have it all figured out and that's okay. Ricardo Patton taught me a long time ago, you don't have to have all the answers. You just got to know where to find them. And, and to me, like that's, that's a massively important construct for a young coach because you, you're going to think that you have all the answers, but you know, damn well, <laughs> like you, you're going to be sitting there late night, wondering whether or not you should make this call and ask somebody for help. And I would say, yes, do it immediately. Um, Call any of your mentors, leaders, teachers, anybody around you that you think can help you out in a situation, be vulnerable. It's okay. Like, I think a lot of us, we, we want to help, right? We're here to serve. Like, we want to do that. Uh, so when, when someone calls you or calls me and just starts talking hoops, I love that stuff. Uh, it's being vulnerable. And then if you can be approachable, um, I think we, we put on airs sometimes, like, wait, we're way too more, we're way too important than we actually are, right? <laughs> like, we're college coaches. Like we're not the president of the United States of America. We don't have the secret service walking around us. Okay. Like can't, you know, don't, don't talk to me. Don't approach me. I'm over here to state tournament watching basketball. Like I'm going to sit over here. Like, don't, don't, don't say a word to me. Like I'm way too down. Secret service, please stop this man. He's going to ask me some question. That's going to leave me down a rabbit hole for 30 minutes and I'm going to lose focus. Let's stop. Right. Stop. Like just be approachable. Uh, to me, that's going to be more important than, your ability to go out there and, you know, have that mystique that you're almighty and all important. If you're approachable and you build a real relationship, something that's genuine and you can connect with somebody, then they're probably going to help you out if there's a player down the line. So that player that you're watching and evaluating, the people that you just spent 30 minutes with informally, probably going to help you out a lot more than, than that kid that you're watching right there. So on that player topic, yeah. when you're recruiting a player and if, you can only ask the recruit one question and one question only. What question would that be for you to best identify if they're a good fit for you and your program? Well, I'm going to play a little psychologist here with you, but I'm probably going to ask you a, a, a question that's going to hurt you down the line. Okay. And I say this is this is this is this is bait. Okay. Uh, I'm going to ask you a define to me what winning is and what leadership is in your phrase. I want you to define that operationally define winning and operationally define leadership for me. Kids are smart. 
Um, and so if that kid's going to be in your program and that kid defines winning to you and he says, you know, to me, winning is sacrificing everything that you have right now to, to make sure that, you know, it pays off in the end and, and it's blood, sweat and tears and it's not holding anything back and it's giving everything you've got 110% all the way through the line, you know, all the things, right? And that's what winning is. It's giving everything you have for the greater good of the program, okay? Leadership. It's being held accountable every single day. It's being able to, to lead by not only your words, but by your example. I mean, you want to be the guy that's the best player and the hardest worker. And they're just, they're just you know, regurgitating all these stuff they probably heard through, you know, Instagram. They're out here just regurgitating all these things. And then they're in your program. And they're going to be the practice or they're going to be having a bad spell. And you're going to go, Billy? What did you describe winning as to me when you decided to commit to this program? What did you define leadership as when you said you wanted to be, you know, a Wyoming cowboy? What did you define that as? Because I'm going to tell you, I wrote these notes down when you were talking. I was moved to the core by the way you described it. I, I probably never heard a better description in my entire life of what being what winning is and what being a leader is. You told me these things from the, the first day I talked to you. You told me that's what you were about. And now you're out here, not diving for loose balls, showing up half-hearted with no spirit. And yet, this is what your description of leadership and winning is probably going to come back to bite you in the butt, to be honest with you. And I want that. I want you to, I want you to really think about what you're trying to do here, right? And I think that that's the question that I would give me something where I can sit there and hold you accountable for that in the future. Because it's easy to, you know, ask me like, well, tell me what's your why? Oh, I, I love playing basketball, man. It's, I grew up with this. My, my dad played basketball. My mom played basketball. Like, you know, I want to, I just want to, I want to make it. I want to go to the NBA and I want to, you know, I just want to be the best player that's ever lived. Tell me your why. That's your why. Okay. Well, I can't hold you accountable to that why as we go forward in the future. Cause I mean, you said those things, but it's, that's a product. The process is what you described to me about what a winner is, what winning is and what leadership is. The process of becoming great is involved in that, in that answer. And if you don't, if you don't exemplify that answer, the process answer, then we have a disconnect here. And you're the one that told me that's what it was. So to me, that's where accountability comes in, is making sure that we can use the Socratic method still to talk to these players and make them realize that you don't get to say just whatever the hell you want to say and think that that's okay. Because that's the whole point about the act of ownership is it's acting, not talking. So you told me what it was, but you're not acting like what you're, you're not acting the way you're supposed to, the way you actually told me what you're supposed to act like. We're, we're flipping this on it on its head right here. I, it may be a little weird, like, I don't know, I'm a high-functioning sociopath. It's kind of, you know, out there, but that's the type of question I would ask somebody um, right. because I, I, want, I want that to come, come back tenfold. I love it. I love the accountability piece. So I'm going to get you out of here on a non-basketball related question so you can let your guard down just a bit. And I would normally say let your hair down, but that's not an option. So <laughs> if you could have one superhero power to obtain, what would it be and what would you do with it? Yeah, man, like there's just, and I'm a, I'm a junkie. Okay. I, and I, I don't know, you might be thinking Marvel here, but I'm just, I'm a little off script. So I'm gonna I'm going Star Wars 
All right. And that, to me, the superhero power that I've always wanted is the force. I want to be able to use the force. Okay. <laughs> like that is, I mean, I don't know. Everybody else may want to fly or become the Hulk. I don't know. It might be Captain Marvel, you know, that that's pretty good. Or Vision, that would be a good one too. But to me, it's, I want to use the force, the all encompassing life force around us. I want to use the life force that's around us and be able to channel that and use it for the greater good. Right. And I, I love the dichotomy of light and dark with uh, Star Wars. And so what I would use with the force is just that. I mean, I would I'd be able to move my wife's furniture issues around the house with the force. I'd be able to. She's like, oh, honey, I want you to move this couch for the 14th time. I'd be like, well, just hold on one second. Let me you know, close my eyes. There's the force. Move that couch. How's that? No. OK, that's not hard. All right. I'm probably taking the easy way out here. The force probably should be used for greater good. But to me, the greater good is making sure happy wife, happy life. All right. That's the greater good right now. And so that is what I'm using my superpower for is to make sure that I can uh, aesthetically please my wife with her, with her uh, eyesores around all the bad feng shui issues I have in her house. Uh, I love it. And if you don't have support in the home front, you're in trouble. So that's a good move on your part. <laughs> no, no question. I mean, it's weird that I had to go back there, but that's where my mind went having a superpower. It was like saving the world or like helping somebody in need. It was like really like just stopping my wife from destroying everything that's in our house right now. Yeah. She's, <laughs> she's the, she's the real, she's the dark side of the force, right? I'm stopping <laughs> Darth chair mover over here. <laughs> well, we'll we'll make sure she doesn't hear this. Coach, I'm <laughs> thanks for coming on the Hoop Nerds and sharing with us. My brother, I appreciate you, man, all the time. I just wanted to give a quick shout out to my friends at Dr. Dish Basketball. I've been associated with their products for a few years now, and I'm really impressed by their innovative and user-friendly shooting machines. They also are great people with tremendous customer service. It's no wonder why they have become the preferred choice among top programs around the country and world. I'm very grateful for their support of the show. Make sure to check them out at drdishbasketball.com and at drdishbball on social media. Be sure to mention WBCA when ordering your next Dr. Dish to save an extra $300 off any commercial purchase.